Good morning, grace and peace. It's kind of weird for me to come up to, to the stage listening to my own voice. <laughs> uh, I did not account for this. Um, but thankful for our team that has put such a great material together. And you'll be watching some of these uh, testimonial videos throughout the Gospel Legacy series. Uh, in the next three weeks, we are focusing on the why of why we are here as a church. Why are we here as a church? What has God called us to? What does he called, call each and single, every single one of us to do? That will be the question that we will try to answer for the next three weeks. And the uh, obvious answer is that the reason why we are here is because we are building something together. We are building a legacy together. It's a legacy that is founded on the gospel. Uh, this is not an idea that I had or the pastors have had. This is not an idea that has come out of our elders and our leaders. Uh, but this is Jesus's idea. Uh, Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples that they were to do one thing, and that was to proclaim the gospel to every creature, and that he would baptize, that they would baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the disciples, as they went on with their ministry, post the ascension of Jesus, as you read in the book of Acts of the Apostles, that's exactly what you see going from city to city, going from town to town in the Greco-Roman world, and leaving a gospel legacy. This is Jesus's idea. And therefore, the passage that we are going to read from today that will guide us into this uh, principle and this mission that has been given to us is part of a letter that Paul wrote to a group of Christians living in Rome at the time, the largest city of their days. Paul writes to them these words, and I want to share them with you, and I want to meditate on these words with you. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 8 through 17. This is what Paul says. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all of the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. What is this legacy? It's a legacy that is about the gospel. So we're going to talk about that first. This, this legacy is founded in the gospel. It's about the gospel. Then, then I want us to ask a second question. Why should it be about the gospel? If it's about the gospel, why should it be about the gospel? And then lastly, how can you and I, how can you partake in building this legacy together with us? First, uh, it, it's about the gospel. Uh, you may be asking the question, what do you mean by gospel? I mean, obviously, as you were reading the text with me, this word appears at least three times in these verses that we read. It's all over the letter to the Romans. It's all over to the letter to the Galatians and Paul's writings. But what does the gospel mean? Uh, the gospel, at its root, it means good news. The, the, the word in the Greek which is the original language of this letter, is the word evangelion. Eu means good, and angelos means herald. Some of you have heard the word angels thrown around. What are angels? Angels are angelos, are messengers. They are heralds. So evangelion is the good news. The gospel is good news It's not good advice, it's good news. And this term was used around in that culture in those days to describe a life-altering event that has happened, has taken place. You may not have partaken in it. You may not have participated and contributed to that which has happened and taken place. But because it has happened, because it has taken place, your life is now forever altered. So oftentimes it would be used when your king would go out and fight your enemy that was on their way to destroy you. In the middle of their trajectory, your king would meet the enemy's armies with his armies and he would destroy the enemy. And a herald, an angelos, would be sent back to your hometown and he would read from the public square, Evangelion of our king, You have nothing to worry about. You didn't fight the war. You were not there with him fighting the enemy, but he has won the war and you're now safe. Something in history has happened and taken place. And as a result, you have benefited from it. Your life has been impacted by it. Let's continue in that type of metaphor because in our lifetime, there have been evangelions preached to us that have forever changed our lives. In my lifetime, the three most important ones were, number one, you no longer have to write physical letters. Some of you know that Beth and I dated long distance and we wrote letters to each other and it would take seven days for us to receive these letters. And by the time we read the letters, it was seven days old in terms of news and information. And I remember the day when someone told me in the early 90s, good news, You don't have to do that anymore. There's this thing called emails. (laughs) It's instant. They get the news right away. 
The second one was because I hate going to the grocery store and the shop. There's Amazon. Good news. You no longer have to leave your house to get exactly what you want. And it comes within 24 hours. It's good news. Our lives have been changed by these good news. And then the latest and the last one was good news. You don't have to spend 10 or 15 hours writing a sermon. There's ChatGBT. <laughs> now let me comfort you. I have resisted ChatGBT. And every sermon that I've preached to this day, including this one, has been bathed in prayer. And I've spent many hours pondering and reflecting upon the tenets of the Christian faith out of the passages that I am working out of. So to this day, they're all been legit, but I don't know about the future. <laughs> Just leaving the word out there. Good news, Evangelion, that's what it is. And the reason why we are not interested in building a cross-bridge legacy, but leaving a gospel legacy, is because we know that everything in life is transient. As a matter of fact, we live in a city that is extremely transient. A week does not go by in my life that I don't say hello to someone new and goodbye to someone that I have invested in. And if you've lived in Miami for any number of years, you know that this is true. But it's a picture of how life works. We are here today. We're not here tomorrow. This church may be here today, but who knows in 100 years from now whether it will be around or not. It's always a sober reminder when I read, for instance, the book of Revelations. In the first few chapters, there are words from Jesus addressed to local churches in local cities. And those churches are no longer there. But it doesn't matter because even though those physical churches are no longer there, the legacy of the gospel was left by those churches in those regions and it was passed down from followers of Jesus to followers of Jesus and it has arrived here today. You are here. You and I are here on a Miami fall Sunday morning because the legacy of the gospel was passed down through generations, starting in the Middle East, and it has reached you in the new world today. Because people were faithful to this legacy, and we continue in those steps as a church faithful to the gospel. We know that everything in life is transient, but the gospel is permanent. And our hope is that as people pass through this port of Miami, the city port of Miami, that they would receive from the ministry of our church the gospel and they would take this gospel, this life-altering message wherever they go. And one of the great joys to me is to hear back from people that have come to Miami, have spent a few years here at Crossbridge a decade or two years or five years 
and will say to others and to us to this day, I'm grateful to God that while I was there, I received a gospel legacy that has completely changed my life. Uh, recently, we had uh, the testimony of a med student that was with us for a couple years while he was doing residency at the UM hospital. His name is Rodrigo, he's a Mexican med student, he came with his wife, and uh, he left after his residency, he was placed elsewhere. And after being placed elsewhere, he sends us this report. It's a short testimonial. I'd like you to listen to it. Since I was 14 years old, I have been agnostic. This was in large part because of how, by that point of view, I'd become very evidence-based and decided I did not want to believe in God just because I was told to. I felt like I would get a benefit from it, for example, heaven, felt it was easier than not believing in a God, or felt like I just needed something, someone to get me through hard situations. Instead, I wanted to feel that my faith was based on reasoning, that I was justified. Like many others, I'd also become disillusioned in the church and how some of its followers represented it. After my wife, Danny, came to faith in Jesus, I started going to Crossbridge with her to be supportive, but slowly started to enjoy it myself. Through time, I felt like we were part of a community that was focused on the teachings of Jesus, how to bring them into the world, and most importantly, on his message of love without judgment. It was comforting being in a community that did not condemn doubt and actually encourage asking questions. It truly felt that I could belong. While this did not convince me to believe, it was what opened my mind to faith again. My doubts about believing again began, ironically, while reading a book on philosophy that covered parts of Hume's dialogues concerning natural religion. I, I agreed with most of the arguments he made against classic Christianity, but this led me to look for counter-arguments due to curiosity. I ended up reading about other stronger arguments in favor and scholarly, scholarly research into the historicity of Jesus outside the Bible. A few months passed and I slowly noticed how when I had my eyes open to him, I was seeing him left and right. This led me to read C.S. Lewis, wrestle through questions, meeting up with my campus pastor for coffee, reading books he recommended and praying. I may not have, have everything figured out yet, but I am now committed to knowing and to following Jesus. This story is one of many stories that we've heard here in the life of Crossbridge. We believe that while life is transient, the gospel is permanent. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this in the gospel of Matthew. He said, Heaven and earth will pass, but my words will always remain. And so we will, as a church, remain committed to the gospel because we believe that the gospel is not just the first steps into the Christian life. It's the whole staircase. And you don't start in the gospel and move to other things 
but you remain in the gospel. You never deviate from the central message of the gospel. And so if you've come to Crossbridge, whether you've come for 15 years like some people in the video or you've come for a year or you've come for a month, every Sunday our guitar has only one string and that is the gospel. That's all you will hear because that's all you will need. We are committed to the gospel. And in the next 15 years, what is our commitment? Our commitment is to the same gospel. What has brought us here will take us into the future. We are committed to that. Now, obviously, the question that follows is why should our sole commitment be to the gospel? Should our commitment not be to morality or other things? It has to flow from the gospel. Any morality that does not flow from the gospel is an addition to the gospel. We start and we continue and stay with the gospel and the spirit of God works and brings change in our lives that allows us to become better neighbors, better co-workers, better citizens, better parents, better children better friends. But our mission is the gospel. The gospel does not exist for the church. The church exists for the gospel. Why does Crossbridge exist? And that is in our first core value. We are a cross-focused church. We exist for the sake of the gospel. So we are recommitting like we do each year to this mission. But why? Why should it be the gospel? Well, Paul is very clear here. In three ways. First, because the gospel has power. The gospel is power. Verse 16, what does he say in verse 16? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This word that's translated in English here in this text as power, in the Greek is the word, you'll find the word dynamos, where we get the word dynamite from. Okay? So what is the gospel? The gospel is dynamite. The gospel is dynamite from God. The gospel is the power of God. Now now let's take this image a little further to try to extract why this is a crucial thing and why it ought to be central to the life of our church and our own lives. High-powered explosives have the ability to change landscapes, radically change landscapes. For the worse or for the better. And our minds are, have been filled in the last months with images of towns that its landscape, its skyline has been completely changed by the power of explosives. But when used positively, it creates roads, builds tunnels. You're able to clear ground. So that in that place, you can build buildings that will help to bring flourishment to the community around it. When I moved to Miami a little over 50 years ago, Beth can attest to this. I noticed, obviously, two things, which to me was sort of ironic because I've, I've noticed the vibrancy of the city. This is a city filled with light. There's a lot of sunlight. Uh, this is a city filled with color. It's, 
in the cars, it's in the buildings, it's in what people dress or don't dress. This is a city that on the surface is bright and filled with colors. But when I came here, I also sensed what was underneath the surface. I sensed the darkness. I remember we uh, used to live in this building and we had a terrace where we could overlook the city. And every time that I would sit there, I would sense a darkness enveloping me. And I think that over the years, I, as a frog in the kettle, have probably lost a little bit of that sensitivity. But there are moments that God brings back to my memory. And he reminds me of how dark is the place that we live in. No wonder this is one of the most unchurched cities in the country. No wonder people here don't care about others. It's the city that scores the lowest in volunteerism in the nation. Uh, No wonder uh, there is a strong culture of image and materialism. This is a city that is dark. And I remember in those early days, my prayer to God was always, God, Would you allow the work that is about to begin here in a small way to help to change the spiritual landscape of this city? I want our people to be used to change the spiritual landscape of the city. That first work hadn't even started yet. I had no idea that it would become this family of churches that we have today extending its roots into other areas and other regions and other cities, but I would always hear God back every time I prayed that he would allow us to be a part of changing the spiritual landscape of the city, he would say, just stick to the gospel because the gospel is power to save. The gospel is power. The gospel is not only power, but the gospel in its power brings hope. I don't know if you uh, are familiar with the the context of Romans 1, but but here in Romans 1, if you were to continue to read verses 18 to the end of the chapter, the Apostle Paul, after greeting that beloved church in Rome, he gives them a spiritual picture of the world that they existed in, and it is a very dark picture. Let me just read a few words from Paul about the picture that he paints. Verse 28 onward, he says, And since the people of this world did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is written 2,000 years ago, and it's almost like we get the same feeling from Paul about the culture and the world in which we are inserted in, right? Yet Paul doesn't write these words and Paul doesn't give them this picture to discourage them 
so that they would say, oh, it's just God, just destroy this world and take us to heaven. No. Paul gives them this picture so that they would have hope that the gospel could change that landscape if they as a church commit themselves to it. And it's that encouragement to us. He says, yes, the world is dark. Yes, the world is evil. But hope does not lie in politics. But hope does not lie in government. Hope does not lie in money. We can't change things with any of these things, but the gospel can change if we commit ourselves to the gospel. The gospel is God's power at work to save and to restore and to redeem this broken and fallen world. The gospel offers hope, both, he says here, to the Jew and the Gentile, meaning who are the Jewish people? The religious people. The gospel is hope for the religious, and the gospel is hope for the irreligious. It's hope for everyone who believes. The gospel is hope for radical religious people, and the gospel is hope for those who are radically living a life of debauchery. The gospel is the hope of the world, and one of the great things that I've seen here at Crossbridge, nothing brings more joy into my heart than when I see people come into faith in Jesus. Through the last 15 years, we've had a lot of religious people come to faith in Jesus. You heard their testimonies just a, a while ago in the video that was played. People that were raised in the church had no idea what this good news was. When they heard it, the Spirit worked in their hearts and their lives have been forever changed. And we've had people who are living uh, lives of debauchery who, was all, who have also come to faith through the years. You know, there's two ways to grow a church. One is through transfers. You know what transfers are? People that move from one church to another because they find better programs over there. And we've had our share of transfers. I know that some of you are transfers, and that's okay. We love you anyways. And we're glad that you are here with us. Uh, we're glad that God has called you to be part of this mission with us. But Crossbridge has really grown, especially in our newer campuses, through conversions. I don't know if you knew this, but we have an average of about 100 conversions a year through Crossbridge. Crossbridge is five churches in Miami, one in Sao Paulo. Every quarter we perform baptisms in the beach and each of those baptisms is a story of someone that has encountered Jesus through the years. That's what success is like for me. That's what it looks like. It's to look at somebody like Lewis, who gave his testimony, who's today an elder, who I led to faith in the first year of Crossbridge. It's two of the elders at Key Biscayne that six years ago, Eric was baptized, had no idea of this hope that was found in Jesus. See, what Paul is saying is the gospel has the power to change the spiritual landscape of a city, of a neighborhood. The gospel has the power to change the social landscape of a city and of a group of people. The gospel has the power to change the landscape of a marriage, of a family, of an individual. The gospel has the power to change the gospel even has the power to change the landscape of heaven. 
Think about this. Before the gospel, before God's revelation to humanity, the heaven was only inhabited by angels. Now the heaven is also inhabited by forgiven and redeemed sinners. Even the landscape of heaven has been changed because of the gospel. I remember reading Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky several years ago. I don't know if you've read this book, but in that book there is a character who is a government man and he is a mess. He is hot-tempered. He is an alcoholic. He is very offensive to people around him. He is a hot mess. And yet he loves God. And there's one moment that he finds himself reflecting on his situation in comparison to the love of God. And he remembers his daughter who is living a life of prostitution at the same time. So he sees the, the mess in his life. And he's asking this question, why would God love someone like me? And then he makes the statement. He says, on the last day when we get to heaven, I'm paraphrasing. Many people will look at Jesus and say, Lord, why have you let any of these people, all these people in? And Jesus will, will, will respond because all of them believed that they were not good enough for this. And this is the gospel that we trust. This is the gospel that we believe. This is the gospel that brings hope because it is power. The gospel... The gospel is the only power to form an extraordinary community such as the church. You know, one of the amazing things about Crossbridge, and I, 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 on Sundays I travel from campus to campus preaching, and on, like, almost every Sunday, in the hallways, in the rooms, before the services, after the services, meeting with leaders, I hear Spanish, Mandarin, Portuguese, some Korean in this campus, and even some English. <laughs> I love here at Crossbridge that we have people that lean conservative polit politically and people who lean left politically, and they call each other my brother and my sister. I love that uh, millionaires and CEOs get to sit next to people who are living off of welfare. And when we take all of our campuses and putting, put everything together into one family, the diversity is astounding. And I love this. And it's only the gospel that has the power to form a community like that. You wouldn't want a homogeneous community as a church. If you go to a church in a diverse city and it's homogeneous in every single way, the gospel is not working its power there. Only the gospel. And that was one of the most radical things in the world back in those days to the very people that Paul was writing to here in Rome because you had these races back in those days that were at each other's throat and uh, dehumanized one another out in the world, but in the church... They loved one another as family. 
And this is what we have, and this is what we will fight for. And that's why the gospel offers hope. And that's why we commit ourselves to the gospel. Now, lastly, how can you partake in leaving this legacy behind? Number one, it's very clear in the text, you must believe the gospel. You cannot give that which you do not have. In fact, uh, during these sermons, we're going to be calling you to action, and we expect no response. I expect no response from those who have never experienced the gospel changing the landscape of their life. But if it has changed the landscape of your life, why would you not want to be a part of leaving this legacy behind? And it starts with believing the gospel. So how do you believe the gospel? What does it mean to believe the gospel? The answer is in the last verse that we read, verse 17, the apostle Paul writes, for in it, in it what? The gospel. In it, for in the gospel, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What is is the Apostle Paul trying to teach us is that belief in the gospel. See, verse 16, which is the previous verse, is the gospel is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. And verse 17 is the breakdown of what it means to believe the gospel. Okay? It's the breakdown of what it means to believe. He says what means to believe is to accept a righteousness that is not achieved. In other words, you exchange a righteousness that is achieved for a righteousness that is received. What is righteousness, pastor? Righteousness means good standing. All of us have a need to be loved, and to be accepted. And we're all building a good standing amongst the communities of people that we are part of so that they could applaud us, so that they could accept us, so that they could love us. Everyone here in this room has embarked in a self-righteousness enterprise. We're all doing that. Some of you are doing that through work, because professional achievement will result in the, at the applause of your coworkers or the people in your industry, and that make you feel loved and accepted. Some of you are doing this through image, by looking really, really good. Some of you are doing this through morality, by doing all the right things and being well-behaved Christians. But these are all self-righteous enterprises. Believing the gospel means understanding that all of the righteousness that we can engage in in this life, any enterprise of building our own righteousness, one day will blow away. You know, money one day will blow away. Some of you have been through that. Economic crises are good for that. Friends will leave you. Image. You cannot inject enough Botox in your face to revert the effects of the fall. (laughs) You just can't. Hello, Miami. You can't do that. One day you will not look as good. 
One day you will not look as reputable. One day you will not look as wealthy. These things are subject to change. Like I said, everything in life is transient. And when you realize that, see, the Apostle Paul tried to do that through morality. By being a good Jew. By persecuting the Christian threat into his community. He did that that way. And it's not until you realize that these things are blowing away that they will not withstand the strong storms of life. But only a righteousness that is received will do that. You, will, you have not come to faith. That's what it means to believe the gospel. And, and, and it's possible that there are people in our churches that are members but have never experienced this exchange of righteousness from one that is achieved to another one that is received. And so you must experience it. I experienced one day. Martin Luther, the father of Protestantism, experienced one day when he was already a pastor at two years after he promoted the Reformation. I don't know if you knew this. Here's his testimony. He said this, I labored diligently. In this passage, he was already teaching Romans to Students wanting to be pastors, I labor diligently and anxiously as to how to understand Paul's words in Romans 1.17 where it says, where he says, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. I saw the difference. That law is one thing and the gospel another. I broke through. That's not just a Pentecostal language, okay? It's reformed too. I broke through And as I had formerly hated the expression, the righteousness of God, I now began to regard it as my dearest and most comforting word so that this expression of Paul's became to me, in very truth, a gate to paradise. I I was already a pastor for four years when I truly understood the gospel, when the penny dropped. (laughs) And that's how you experience the gospel, is you give up the efforts of trying to achieve a righteousness and instead receive a righteousness. And when you do, that will change your life. How so? Number one, you will desire to see other people experience the same gospel. That's what the first few verses are all about. And it gives us practical steps of how to do that, of what we should see in our lives as a result of believing this gospel. Paul says in verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. One of the ways that God works is through prayer. Will you commit to praying with us that others will also experience the life-altering message of the gospel in their lives? Will you pray? Do you want to see others experience the power of the gospel? Do you do it? Want to see that? Will you commit to praying? It's about that. Pray with us that God would continue to work through the people of Crossbridge and that more will come to faith in Jesus through the ministry of this church, that we will not deviate from the central message of the gospel. Pray. We need you to hold us in prayer, that we would stay grounded in the gospel and that people will experience the gospel. Prayer is a natural consequence of those who really desire to see the gospel at work, but so is generosity. <laughs> Verse 10, the Apostle Paul continues and he says, Always in my prayer I, ask, um, I am asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. What is Paul saying? I, I want 
you to continue to pray so that I would come to you so that I can give you a gift that will benefit you and that will allow you to grow in the gospel. See, it's not enough just to pray. We have to stand in the gap and posture ourselves as God's instrument so that people will hear the gospel. That's what Romans 10 is about. Here at Crossbridge, each year we pass out these uh, gospel legacy cards. And if you come in today, you've received one. And if not, there's one in the back. Do not leave without taking one of these. Since you're praying, you might as well fill it out too. And you should ask God, God, how do you want me to steward my time, my talents, and my treasure so that this will become a reality? What gift do you want me to give? The Apostle Paul had a gift. I think it was probably the gift of teaching that he wanted to give them. But it may have been something else. But what gift does God want you to give? Not in just one area, in all areas. How much he wants you to give in terms of time, talent, and treasure. Because after all, someone that understands the gospel not only prays, not only is generous towards that end, but they see it as a partnership. Look at what he says in verse 12. He says, that is, that way we may be, so I wanted to give this gift to you so that we may be mutually encouraged. Underline that, mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Listen, to fulfill this mission, to stay on mission, we cannot do this alone. We understand this. If we try to do this alone, I mean the staff and the pastors, we will fail. We are called to do this together because we are partners in the gospel. So will you partner with us in building this gospel legacy for the years to come? Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you today with this deep understanding that you have radically given to us. You have given us a gift of a righteousness that we cannot achieve on our own, but only receive because of the obedience and the faithfulness of Christ. Father, may that empower us and motivate us, uh, Father, to recommit everything that you've poured on in our lives for the sake of the gospel in this city, through this church, and beyond. Lead us to the table with that understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. We're coming to the Lord's table, and this is how Jesus reminds us of his generosity towards us, of his intent to come to us, taking on flesh upon himself, giving all of himself to us, and then sharing a partnership. He's sharing his inheritance with us. This is a table that the Lord Jesus Christ sets before us. It's a table where we encounter him. It's a partnership. And it's a one-handed partnership. We bring our story, we bring our mess, and he brings us, he gives us the wine and the bread. You bring your story as it is, and he gives you spiritual food. He gives you his body, and he gives you his blood. This table is for you and I. Every time that we come to this table, we are reminded of his truth, and we're strengthened in it as well. Let me invite our ushers forward, and uh, as they position themselves here and as you f feel that the timing is adequate and appropriate, you can spend it in prayer, but for time adequate and appropriate, you can come and taste and see by eating and drinking of Jesus' generosity towards us. 
by giving us the hope through the gospel, by acting and acting in our lives the power that the gospel has to change our spiritual landscape. And so as you are ready, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. And the night that the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he says, this is my body broken for you. Eat it, do this in remembrance of me. And after breaking the bread, he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood. The cup of the new covenant that I'm making with humanity. Come and drink it, do this in remembrance of me. So if you are a broken sinner that has found the hope of Jesus in the gospel, this table is for you. Regardless if last night was a rough night, this week was a rough week, this is particularly designed for that purpose. So come taste and see that the Lord is good.